All right. Uh, grab your Bibles. We'll be, you'll be using them this morning. We uh, last week covered the topic, Wonderful Counselor, right? We're in uh, Isaiah going through those titles. And we asked the question, is he your wonderful counselor? And we wanted to encourage you that make him so. And we said that the issue is leaning in, right? Not leaning away from the Lord, but leaning in. And the point is, because we don't know any more what 2022 will bring than we knew what 2021 would bring, right? Uh, we can kind of look back on 21 and go, okay, made it, done that, got there. And then you go, 2022, well, that should be fine, right? Um, and just there's things perking. For example, did any of you hear about Iran's nuclear refinement plant in the tanks that was blown up? Right? Nada. Zippo in our press. Okay? And yet that was blown up. All right? That's a huge deal. That could be the precipice of World War III right there. Also, did you hear about Russia amassing their army on the Ukraine border? Right? That one was actually reported. Um, and I point those out not for fear or anything like that. I point those out simply. The Bible says when you see things like that, look up. Put your head up. That means watch, watch Jesus. Watch what's going on. Um, because just because it isn't reported doesn't mean it's not happening. There's a whole lot of stuff that's not being reported about what God's doing. It doesn't mean it's not happening. All right? So we as the church have to keep our eyes on the prize, keep our eyes on what the Lord is doing. And we're going to need to stay close. My suggestion is stay close to our wonderful counselor. And we laid out the challenge to read through the Bible. Many of you have done that. Many of you have attempted that. And again, we're coming around the first year, and it's a great chance to go right back at it again. And if you didn't make it last year, you can make it this year. Hey, if you read it last year, you can read it again. And it's a chance to chug through that. Uh, we gave you several options and ways that you could do that. Uh, if you want, just go to the website, check it out. We've got the plans laid out for you. You can take a look there. But that comes out of the, the scripture for our series then, uh, highlighting scripture, comes from Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. We're looking at these four titles, these four titles in the series. First of all, Wonderful Counselor last week. This week, we're looking at Mighty God. Next week, Everlasting Father. And then lastly, Christmas Eve, Prince of Peace, all right? Um, we've got some scripture this morning, and my friend Jennifer is going to come up and read it for us. So, Jennifer, thank you. Um, our passage this morning is from Psalm 50, the first six verses. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. All right, we're going to be looking at that. When, before we do, let's pray. Let's seek the Lord's heart. Father, we come before you as the mighty God. We recognize that we don't know all of who you are. We recognize that there's a lot of cards you haven't played, but we do know what you have shared with us. We, don't, we do know what you've told us. We do know about your heart and your love for us. And we stand in the incredible mercy of forgiveness this morning. 
We come as grateful children. We come to listen. We come to learn. We come to have things underlined that we've already known. We come to remember things that you've often told us. But we also come to look for things that you might be saying about the future and yourself. And so, Lord, as we do this, we come this morning knowing that we're dependent on you, Holy Spirit, to be among us and to highlight things. You are free to have a conversation with us. And Lord, if that means that you have a conversation and it departs from the message, that's fantastic. Speak this morning. Be among us. And we give that to you with hope. In your name, amen. All right. So first of all, let's, uh, when we talk about God, let's reemphasize and reestablish uh, this morning the affirmation from Scripture that Yahweh is the King of kings and Lord of lords. All right? I know we know that, but let's just put that down this morning. We'll look at it. You saw this in Psalm 50, right? It's up there and you can see that. Let's look at some other ones. Exodus 15 says this, who is like you among the gods, Yahweh? In other words, bring out the challenge. Who is like you? Deuteronomy says this, what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do according to your works and according to your mighty deeds? 1 Kings 8 says this, O Yahweh, God of Israel, there is no God like you in the heavens above or on the earth beneath. And Psalm 97, 8 says this, For you, O Yahweh, are most high over all the earth. You are highly exalted above all the gods. And by the way, these are just cherry-picking a few, right? They're all over uh, in the Old Testament. If you look at uh, Isaiah 44, again, Isaiah is a rich treasure trove of statements about God and his sovereignty. Isaiah says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not of any. Michael Heiser in his book, The Unseen Realm, really delves into this whole layers of Yahweh and the divine counsel and all this. And it's a mind-blowing read. I'd recommend it to you. He digs deeply into this whole topic. Lord of hosts, the God of the divine counsel, God Almighty. Titles we don't use anymore. You don't hear that anymore. That used to be actually recorded in radio programs and newspapers and things as regular reminders in our culture. Uh, read some of World War II when victories were given and the credit that was given to God Almighty. You don't hear that anymore. We have shifted a long way and in the wrong way. But for this morning's purposes, the question on the table is then, okay, well, where does that leave us with Jesus, right? Because Jesus is this other factor that comes into, especially at Christmas time, and you say to yourself, well, I thought Yahweh was the mighty God. How is then Jesus mighty God? And it's a wonderful question, and we're going to explore that this morning. He is the wonderful counselor, but Isaiah also attributes to him the name Mighty God. We can fast forward all the way to the book of Revelations to see this. So we're in Isaiah, now we're going to go to Revelation, right? So boom, zip, here we go. Grab your Bibles, we're in chapter 19. 
And it says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. By the way, we know this is Jesus. Why? Because in the beginning, John writes in his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He's the Word of God. So we know that this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth, and by the way, I'm not into horses. That doesn't sound cool to me. If it was motorbikes or dirt bikes, that'd be really awesome. But I guess we'll all learn to ride horses, all right? But from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. That rod of iron is a reference to Psalm 2. You can go and look at Psalm 2. It says, why do the nations rage? Okay, and uh, that's the reference there. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Stop there for a second. This is Jesus. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Notice that that title was the same title that was ascribed to Yahweh that we read earlier in those verses we threw up on the screen. So this clearly points out that the name used exclusively for Yahweh has been appropriated by Jesus. Now, some would say, no, that's not correct. It was John who appropriated that name for Jesus because he wrote the book of Revelation. <clears throat> but remember, this book of Revelation is Jesus' revelation to John. It is not John's revelation about Jesus. Got to keep that order straight. Jesus revealed this to John, and then John wrote it down. This Jesus revealing to John who he really is. And it's precisely right here. I hope I've set some tension up for you this morning. It's precisely right here where we encounter a problem. And the, the way it's put often goes something like this. This may not be exact for you, but you've probably been in this ballpark here somewhere. <clears throat> often you'll hear something like this. Uh, uh, I don't want anything to do with the God of the Old Testament. Uh, he's violent and capricious. He's a God of wrath and judgment. Jesus is love. And that's the God I want to worship. I'll stick with the New Testament. Thank you very much. Right? You've kind of heard, maybe heard something like that. All right? Let's look at this a little deeper because it often, as I said, creates a dilemma for us. And the question uh, could be asked this way. Uh, which Jesus am I responding to? So am I responding to this Jesus? Here's the babe in the manger. Right? It's Christmas time. Uh, you've seen, you know, portraits like this all over. We have Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in our front yard uh, for Christmas decorations. And, uh, you know, babies are awesome, aren't they? Didn't you see Miriam up here and just go, oh, right? And there's just something about holding a baby, right? Someone walks into a baby and everybody galvanates to them, just right over they go. And then if you hug one, right, there you are, oh, just, right? What is it about babies? Well, they're not a threat, right? Now, they can mess with you, right? Dirty their diapers, and they can cry and go on a crying jag. But really, 
They can't, they can't do much. Yeah, look at she down here rocking the way. It's just so cool. Right. <laughs> so babies aren't a threat. They're, they're, they're approachable. You can make faces at them, and they, they make faces back, right? Right, Levi? Yes, he's right down here, my buddy. Okay? So is it this Jesus I'm responding to, or is it this Jesus I'm responding to? You know, the Jesus, the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, the Jesus, um, you know, who gave all those great sayings. Uh, this Jesus loves people. This Jesus heals people. This Jesus finds lost people. This Jesus forgives people. Okay? And, and so I, I look at this Jesus and go, oh, I'm attracted to that. That speaks life to me. That speaks like I can be forgiven. That speaks like I can find a way. This is, this is, there's hope. There's a chance for me. This is awesome. So that's really cool. Or is it this Jesus I'm responding to? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one riding the white horse. The one coming to make all things right and to right all wrongs. The one who's going to make everything the way it's supposed to be. And the one who's going to wipe every tear from an eye, but the one who will create a lot of tears because there's a lot who will resist him. Here's the point that I want to make. You can't pick and choose, all right? This is not like going to a restaurant and ordering a salad. I would like to order a Cobb salad, no onions, no avocado, dressing on the side, please, all right? We don't get to do that with Jesus. I'll take the babe in the manger for a hug, Jesus for love and salvation, and that king thing, the authority thing, I'll put that on the side for right now. I don't want that in the salad of my life. It's not convenient, it doesn't work, and it doesn't fit. So I'll leave that part out right now. So what's going on here? What's, what's the tension that we're feeling with this and that this creates? And I think I can help us with it. All right, so let's think about God, and let's think about Jesus. All right, and we'll start with Jesus first. If I said, give me some names for Jesus. Well, the first name that probably would come up is Jesus is Lord, Right? That would be the strongest one that we would come up with in terms of an authority-sounding kind of word. Jesus is Lord. But then some other names for Jesus would be Savior, right? He's the Savior. Uh, he's my friend. That's a great one. My friend Jesus. You hear people talk about that like that often. He's my brother, right? We've been made brothers in Christ uh, because of what he's done for us. He's the Prince of Peace. We'll be looking at that in the list of uh, sermons as we go along. Uh, another name, he's the Rose of Sharon, which means he's absolutely a beautiful person. Uh, another one, Wonderful Counselor. Right? So uh, think emotionally how those bounce off of you. Right? Th th it's pretty good. Now, if we say, give me some names for God, the warmest one we probably could come up with is Father. And that's if you had a good dad. If you had a bad dad, that Father doesn't ring very good. Okay? But Father's the warmest one. What are some other names for God? Well, how about King, Lord, Sovereign, Omnipotent, Ruler, and Judge? Okay. Now, do you see any difference between the emotional pull of the names for God versus the names for Jesus? This one feels a lot more warm fuzzy, doesn't it? Okay. 
But here's what Scripture's trying to tell us, is that in Jesus, those two lists are meshed, all right? They are completely meshed. What James was talking about in the humanity of Jesus is that the humanity and divinity were meshed together so that you have an and both existing, not an either or. See, in, in Jesus, both of these lists mesh together. So what am I trying to highlight here? Here's what I'm trying to highlight. It's the issue of control. All of us have a problem with control. You've heard me uh, speak of from this pulpit many times is that control is our drug of choice. Okay? And this is so endemic in us that it shows up in every area of our lives, our marriages, you name it, our families. And uh, I will take and accept love as long as I can stay in control. By the way, have you ever tried to love while you're trying to stay in control? That, that's, it's really hard to do, right? So with God, this translates this way. God, I, I desperately want your love, but I'm not going to trust your leadership. If you want to love me, fine, just don't try to lead because I'm going to be stubborn and I'm going to drag my heels and I'm not going to cooperate. Now, here's the problem with that. When God comes to love you, this Jesus comes to love you, it's God who's coming to love you. Right? He can't stop being God to love you because that's who he is. And so it would be like if you're a teenager and your, your parents came to you and they said, you know what, we love you so much we're going to stop being your parents. Now, if you're a certain kind of teenager, yes, this is awesome. Best news I've ever heard. Right? Then about five minutes later going, what? Wait, what did you say? Yeah, I would love you so much, we're going to leave. No, if you love me, you'd stay, right? And, and every kid knows a parent's not supposed to leave. And, and so th there, there would be a reaction to that. What, what do you mean you love me? You, you, you're leaving, all right? Well, why do they love you? They love you because they're your parents. They can't stop being your parents to love you. That's why they love you. They love you because they're your mom and dad. Right? Same thing with God. When God comes to love you, he loves you because he's God. He can't stop being God to love you. In other words, you have to reconcile the authority issue. Those, uh, uh, God is looking, uh, he, he, wants to, um, he wants to reconcile us. And in reconciling and redeeming you, then what he does is he brings us into his kingdom. And when he brings us into the kingdom, guess who you get to hang out with? The king, right? Think about what makes heaven great. What makes heaven great, if you read scripture, is not all the cool building stuff, right? Cities, man, streets of gold and that kind of stuff. The stuff we think is valuable is building material up there, right? What makes heaven awesome? God's there. You get to hang out with God. Now, if you don't like them down here on that level, you're not going to like them up there on the always eternal, you can't get away from them level. So you better get used to it down here, like learning to hang out with them and enjoying it because you're going to be with them for a long time. That's what he's trying to emphasize. So we get to hang out with the king and the king is looking for those who will love him in spirit and in truth. Those who resist his leadership and authority will not be tolerated. 
And that's why the authority issue has to be settled. It has to be dealt with. I've worked with years and years. I was a youth pastor, and I would see kids come through, and they'd get, they were young, and they'd get baptized, and they would profess their faith, and then they hit the teenage years, and they completely check out. Well, what about your commitment over here? And it was kind of like NFL players, right? You know how NFL players sign a contract, and they get a year or two into it, what do they want to do? Time out. I want to renegotiate the contract, Right? It's endemic in the NFL now. Everybody's renegotiating the contract. And that's what happens with kids. They get to teenage years and they go to God. Time out, I want to renegotiate the contract. This is not fair. You knew all that stuff way back there when I didn't know it. You hooked me before I had a chance. I want a chance to play. I'm going to play. And if you don't like it, tough. I'm walking. And they walk. Any of us had kids that walked? Heartbreaking. That's how it feels from God's side. But we renegotiate contract. What's that over? It's over the issue of authority. If you don't like authority, you're going to have a hard time resting in God's love because he is the supreme authority. Also says that he's humble. So we have to figure that out. Here's the point. We can't get around or escape the consequences of our rebellion, both corporate or personal. There has to be an accounting for our sin, our rebellion, and our iniquities. Iniquities is uh, a fancy word in the Old Testament which simply means my bent to go my own way. I'd rather go my way than Jesus' way. He is the God with whom we have to do, is how Scripture puts it. In other words, we're going to have to stand in front of him. We're going to have to be accountable. We're going to have to answer to him. And I want you to know when I'm talking this morning, I'm not talking at you. This is my story, okay? This is Steve Mitchell's. Uh, those of you who can relate to what I'm saying, I'll just share my story really quickly. I grew up knowing about Jesus. I grew up in the church. I knew all about the fact that he was God. I knew all about the fact that he was born of the Virgin Mary. I knew about, all about the fact that he lived his life. I knew all about the fact that he died on the cross for our sins, and I knew all about the fact that he raised from the dead. Never connected. Because I was too interested in doing Steve's things. And in high school, I crafted a very good image of Steve. I was your all-American kid, but in high school, I had learned to duck back here and do my Steve things, right? And when I got to college, all the authority structure was gone. I could do whatever I wanted to, so we did, okay? And I got to college, and the first year, we burned the world up. It was awesome. Second year, the world burned us up. It wasn't so much fun. And in the midst of this, God reached out to me, although at the time, I didn't even realize it, right? I can look back with much better clarity right now. I was selling books in North Carolina when I ran into Christians, Jesus people, okay? Didn't know what those were, didn't know what that was, didn't realize people actually read the Bible, but I knew I was in the Bible Belt in the South, and so I was in for something. And they would meet me and talk to me, and they would, well, Steve, do you believe there's a God? I go, well, absolutely. Of course I do. Well, Steve, do you believe Jesus is God? Well, absolutely. Of course he is. Well, do you believe that Jesus was born in the Virgin? I'm thinking in my head, I'm Catholic. I believe that more than you, right? Well, do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Yes. I was perplexing them, by the way, as well, as we went through this list. Uh, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to him? I said, everybody knows that, sure. And they'd say, well, Steve, are you saved? And I'd look at them and go, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I don't know what that means. I don't, what, what are you, you know, I don't get it. 
so later in that summer, it started to make some sense. I wound up in, so it was hot down there. I'd wind up in a, a, this church that was in a magnolia grove. It was kind of cool, and it, it had a, a bunch of chick tracks, okay? I don't know if you remember what chick tracks are. That's an old thing, but it had a whole back wall. Like, there were like hundreds of these things. So I'd pull them out, start reading them, say, you know, this fun story about somebody, and then they'd use all the scripture, and at the end, would you like to accept Jesus the Lord? Say, no, stuff it back in, pull another one out, right? read it, stuff it back in, you know. So I was getting an education all summer on scripture that I never read before. I read it because I was trying to escape the heat. And in the midst of that, I realized, well, I've never done this thing. I should ask Jesus into my life. And so I did. Walked out of that church, freaked out of my gourd because I thought the sky was going to roll back and angels were going to go, gotcha, right? And I was, <laughs> right? I didn't know what to do with that. And so I was really good with God out there doing his God things and me here doing my Steve things. And never the twain shall connect till heaven. Because, right, I would get in because I was, you know, in the church. I had no, uh, no paradigm for Jesus in my grill. Jesus right here. Jesus confronting me. I, I had no place for that. And so this was really weirding me out. And, uh, and so uh, a strange thing happened when I got home. Because when I got back home to Wisconsin, I was on my turf again right? Not, not God's weird turf down in North Carolina with whatever that was down there. I was back in Wisconsin. I knew how that worked. And so, uh, but this thing started happening. This battle was going on inside of me. And it just started churning more and more and more. And it only increased since I prayed that prayer in that church. And I was like, if I just hadn't prayed that stupid prayer, I wouldn't be having these problems right now. That's how my thinking was going at the time not realizing that God was actually trying to help me. I figured God was the enemy. Uh, God, it was like God and I were wrestling, and I wrestled in high school and college, and I knew what that was, and I was good at it. So game on, let's go, right? And God and I were duking it out, and um, we were going at it. And what was the issue? Okay, the issue was control. I loved the idea that God loved me. I did not like the idea he had the right to tell me what to do. I did not like the idea that God, as a parent, could say no to something that I wanted. I'm going to grab it anyways, whether you say no or not. Got it? That's how this is going to work. And God said to me, I don't think so. All right? Now, underneath that, at least, uh, for me at least, I doubt God was intimidated in this process at all. all right? uh, but underneath that was fear. I was terrified of letting God have control. Why, he might do something. He might, do, he might make me a pastor. God forbid. <laughs> he might do something crazy like that, right? And so I was fearful and resistant. Okay, now 43 years later, I can tell you that I was very rebellious. I can tell you I was very wrong. I can tell you I was very stubborn. And even worse, very, very inappropriate. Matter of fact, I don't even like telling the stories anymore because that Steve seems so strange to me to the Steve that I am now, okay? I like this Steve, okay? You're getting a very cleaned up version of Steve Mitchell's and I like this version a lot, okay? I don't like that version anymore because I, the, particularly the inappropriate side of responding so wrongly 
towards God when he was trying to reach out and, and, and help me and grab me. Uh, it just was really striking. But I was very inappropriate. I was very convinced that my own take and my opinion were more right than God's. Go figure. Now, I know none of us would have ever done that. But I thought I should let you know what a real rebel looks like. All right? What, 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 who was I afraid of? I was afraid of Jesus. Okay? What was I afraid of? I was afraid of submission. What was my problem? Authority. I didn't like authority. Specifically, Jesus' authority claims over my life. What was the daunting challenge? Surrender and trust. Right? Surrender and trust. I just didn't know how to do that very well. And I stumbled badly as I was trying to. Now, you might be sitting there this morning and saying to yourself, great job, Steve. You have absolutely wrecked Christmas. Way to go. Just botched the whole thing. Why didn't you stick to the shepherds and the wise men and the star and, and for Pete's sakes, the babe in the manger, right? I came for a feel good this morning and you've just trashed this whole thing. And my comeback to you is this, I have. See, the issue of authority is built into the Christmas story. Just go back and read it. A decree by Caesar Augustus for a census. Mandates anyone? Herod certainly knew it was a jurisdictional issue, and he was deeply threatened by it. His reaction to Jesus' authority, what was it? Eliminate it, right? And so he went out and he eliminated the problem, or so he thought. The wise men, what did they do? They responded well to authority. They traveled well over 1,500 miles to give gifts worthy of a king because they knew who they were seeing was a king. By the way, those wise men, you ever wonder where they come from? But do you remember this guy named Daniel who was in exile in Babylon? And there were a whole group of men that he trained and taught and developed over the years. They were probably his disciples down the road who he told them what to look out for. And they knew what to look for. And when they saw it, they came and they worshiped the king. The shepherds, what did they do? They gave witness to it. Right? Quite startling. Angels came and spoke to them, and they came to make sure what they said were true, and they gave witness to it. But here's the most dangerous one. Jerusalem? Jerusalem missed it. Wasn't even aware there was an issue. Eight miles away. Never knew anything was going on. Missed the whole thing. Let me try to make this crystal clear in case you haven't got the point this morning. The babe in the manger is the mighty God. The mighty God is the babe in the manger. They are one and the same. And you either resist him or you submit. You either fight or you surrender. You either wall or you trust. You either fear or you faith. You either lean away or you lean in. It's all over the issue of authority. That's why Isaiah could call this babe in the manger the mighty God. You know, he shows up all over the place, not just in the manger. He was the angel of the Lord who appeared to Abraham, 
He was the angel who appeared to the bush talking to Moses. He was the angel who led Israel through the desert, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He was the man that Joshua met as the commander of the Lord's armies. He was the angel of destruction that David saw at the threshing floor of Aruna. He was the angel of the Lord who appeared to Samson's parents. He was the angel of the Lord who appeared to Gideon. And he is the mighty God who has appeared to us as a baby. He came as a baby. That big. You can hold him in two hands. The mighty God came as a baby. And if you're in awe of the babe in the manger, have you knelt at the foot of the cross? Because that's why he came. He has submitted to you. Have you submitted to him? And we could make that immediate for us. How about this week? He has loved you with all his heart. Have you loved him with all your heart? He gave up his kingdom for you. Have you given up your kingdom for him? Have you surrendered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And the reason I ask is because that babe in the manger, he is the mighty God, the God who is with us. That's what Isaiah was trying to tell us. Let's prepare for communion. Go ahead and make sure you can get your packet open and uh, the juice open without spilling. I did mine earlier. I'm getting smarter. But I want to take you to Colossians 1. While you're doing that, and just read Colossians 1 to you. Listen to Colossians 1 against the backdrop of what I shared this morning. This is talking about Jesus. It says this. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn, in other words, a one of a kind. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In other words, this universe that we see was created by him. Whether thrones or dominions or authorities, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In other words, first place. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. As we come to communion this morning, let's pause for a minute. This is time to make things right with the mighty God. I'm going to leave us a minute. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that when we come to communion, we shouldn't come to it carelessly or sloppy. We shouldn't just waltz in uh, kind of in a nonchalant or inappropriate way, but we should stop and consider. Consider our week. Consider your actions. Consider your words. Consider your thought life. How did you do in regards to righteousness this week? How did you do in regards to surrender this week? How did you do in regards to trust this week? And we're to do that before we take communion. The word used in the Psalms is Selah. It means to pause, means to consider. 
So I'm going to give us a moment before the Lord, the God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pause and consider before we take communion. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? Get in your own space. Stop and be present with him. How did it go this week? Have you settled the authority issue? Are you in the process of cooperating with resolving that issue? Give the Lord your heart and thoughts for the next minute. Father, the thing that overcomes fear is love. You said that perfect love casts out fear. We come this morning depending on that perfect love. None of us can stand in front of you on our own righteous or off the merits of good things we've done. And Lord, the incredible sacrifice and picture of your love for us on the death, your death on the cross is stunning. It's galvanizing. It breaks our heart to realize what we did to you and what you had to do so that we could be free. Lord, we live in a world that has largely rejected that message and we pray, oh great king, that you would find a way to get that message back on the eyes and hearts and minds of our friends and neighbors. But Lord, we also pray that you keep that, get that on our eyes. And Father, one of the areas that we have a deep struggle is in this authority area. We have deep-seated fears of letting you have complete control. I know it. My friends know it. We're talking something very real here this morning. You did something, Jesus, that is incomparable. You submitted for our sake. You said yourself, you did everything the Father asked you to do so that the world would know that you loved him. And you're looking for the same kind of surrender in our part so the world would know that we love you. And so we come with a sense of gravity this morning, having gone through this message, having realized you are the mighty God who we have to deal with. And that your incredible love has been extended to us. We're reminded of the symbols. And we're reminded that this piece of bread here represents your body. We know the story. We know how it was broken for us. Lord, you told us to do this till you come back. The mighty God will come back for us. Do this in memory of you. You said take and eat.
And God, we lift up the cup, which is a symbol of the blood that was shed. Hebrews says we've not yet come to the point of shedding blood for your cause. Father, we might. He said, take this and drink this in memory of me.